The Refugee Crisis. How should Christians in North America respond? That's coming up next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hi there again, and welcome to another edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. So good to talk to you again, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying our podcast so far up to episode number 12, I believe. And so we're moving right along. And uh, again, if you enjoyed our podcast so far, go ahead and uh, click the subscribe button. If Another option is you can go to our website, themondaychristian.com. I do a lot of blog articles on there, and uh, there's just lots of ways that you can uh, get connected and hopefully uh, get better resources to help you grow in your walk with God. Anyways, on our program today, though, uh, I have my friend Cherub Langstaff coming on to talk about the refugee crisis. And the last several years in particular, this has been a hot-button issue, um, especially among Christians. Uh, different Christians have different views on this. And uh, so we're just going to have an open conversation uh, about how Christians should respond to this crisis and maybe some practical ways that everyday Christians can get involved and help local refugees that have, um, are maybe a part of your local community. So let's go ahead and get into the interview right now. Today on the podcast, so great to have my friend Cherub Langstaff on, and we've known each other for a number of years, off and on. I was good friends with her brother, Sam, and uh, Cherub's doing some interesting work overseas that I really wanted to talk about today. But first, Cherub, thanks so much for coming on and taking some time to chat. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just, you know, I know doing podcast interviews, all this stuff, this is just, this is just what you love to do, right? It's just in your sweet spot. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to bring you on. You're doing a lot of work, um, especially in Croatia right now, with refugees. And the issue of refugees is uh, a hot-button topic for, uh, especially in North America right now, uh, last year with the U.S. presidential election, all this stuff, okay? And um, being in Toronto, there's a lot of refugees up here from just a lot of different different countries, different nationalities. And uh, I just wanted to start, though, before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about how you came to faith in Christ in your background. Yeah, so I was raised um, in the country in southwestern Canada and on a farm, and my parents were Christians and took us to church. And so I was raised hearing the gospel and hearing about Jesus Christ and came to my own faith um, at an early age, I was, you know, sensitive to the spirit and I wanted to serve God, but I would say it was probably in high school where I really became grounded in my faith and made a decision, a personal decision to follow Christ. Was there any specific thing that happened that made you make that decision? Um, I don't know that there was any specific, um, incident that I can call to mind, but just... 
I think hearing the gospel and my mom really talked a lot about Jesus and she really loves God and she I think through just listening to her talk um, it made me want to to really know this this Jesus that she was talking to us about at home so that sounds to be a theme like with a number of people that I would talk to even interview on this program that sometimes it's not a specific date but it's just kind of a gradual more awareness that okay this is what I really believe in and it's not just something that my parents believe but it's actually me what I believe yeah and yeah and it, was it around yeah go ahead sorry no it, it used to bother me that I didn't have this like great event or great you know, like almost a specific time and date that I could say was the time of my conversion. And um, I think God just finally brought me to the place where he was like, you know, Cherub, you are my daughter and I did save you and just, you know, stop worrying about all of the yeah. details. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the guys that I have that he writes on our website, the Monday Christian.com uh, is my friend, Jesse. He's, um, um, highly gifted, highly talented, talented guy. And it's interesting, his story, he doesn't really remember specifically the time and the place, but um, he got saved uh, at an early age when he came to a kids program that our family put on um, many, many years ago. And mm-hmm. can't really remember exactly when that was, but uh, it's obviously very real and evident in his life. Yeah. Um, just a follow-up question on that. Um, you're doing a lot of work overseas, Croatia, um, but you're also, you have an interest, I think, in, in a lot of places as well. When did that start? Did that start around that time frame? Yeah, when I was young, I remember um, in Sunday school, they were telling the story about Amy Carmichael. I mean, I always loved when the missionaries came, but they were some teaching us the story about Amy Carmichael, and they were talking about how she um, had wanted blue eyes, but she had brown eyes, and I remember being so disappointed that I had blue eyes because I wouldn't be able to do the work that she ended up doing in India. But when they were talking about God using her to rescue the little girls from the temple, I I remember just wishing so badly that, that I could do that, and that was me. And just... Oh, I, I vaguely remember that story now <laughs> that you mentioned it. Just give it the nutshell version of that. How, how did that go? Well, when she was a little girl, she always wanted blue eyes, and she was devastated that she had brown eyes and after she went to India as a missionary um, she would go undercover and as most people are aware Indians have brown eyes and so she could disguise herself and get into the temple to rescue the girls that they used for prostitution temple prostitution and so if she had had blue eyes it wouldn't have been quite as easy to sneak in yeah no doubt wow <laughs> oh that's, that's so that it was through that that you thought, wow, this is something that I'd like to do. Yeah, and obviously God, you know, had placed that desire in my heart, and through the years he just used different things and circumstances to um, keep that desire alive and to just keep leading me in a a path that that I could end up doing overseas work. So when was your first official trip overseas? I went to Haiti, so that, and for a number of years I returned to Haiti, and that's where I worked in an orphanage there um and talk about maybe talk about the first time that you stepped off the plane in haiti (laughs) how did that change your perception of what it meant to you know you call being a missionary how did that change you (laughs) well i stepped off onto the tarmac it was very hot for a canadian very hot and it just felt so wild because like we weren't 
getting out into a terminal. We got off on the tarmac, and I just followed everybody else. And um, it probably... So very quickly, you know, you get over the honeymoon phase of missions, which probably, you know, as a young girl, there was more of that, you know, it's going to be just like a great adventure, and it is, but, you know, it becomes real life pretty fast. And, um, but, you know, God's grace, like, he's so faithful to, um, to lead us and to, to teach us as we're, you know, sensitive to him, and he helps you get over those cultural, you know, things that are hard to handle, living in different um, culture, and... Right. Did it take take several times? Like, how did God begin to change you as you went, um, maybe several times? How many times did you go to Haiti, you said? It was, like, maybe eight or ten times. Oh, so quite a number, then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think really you know over time i began to see the the long term sacrifices that had to have to be made if you're going to live a missional life and especially overseas but also i began to see more the importance of missions and um and even more so after my time in croatia even more now i would see the that we really do need to be sending forth missionaries because you know, um, there are so many people who are lost and who are hungry and who are waiting to hear the good news. And if God gives us the opportunity, you know, to go, then it is important to go. And to so let's talk. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Talk about Croatia. What made you want to go over there? Well, actually, um, so it's kind of funny because I never heard of Croatia ever, and. A cousin of mine, Emily Jones, and she actually spoke, <laughs> did an interview with you, but she, yep, her and Ken were planning to go. They had been on a trip um, the previous year, and they were going back, and they were like, they knew that I was just kind of, I had just lost my job that I had in Canada, and so I was kind of like, okay, Lord, I don't know kind of what's the next step for me, and they were like, oh, we should ask Cherub if she'll go. And so they, you know, called NAS, and I was just like, sure, why not? You know, like, I, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so, um, but it didn't take very long in the camps to to see the needs that were there and to realize that God had given me certain gifts that I could use in this area, and so that's what prompted Croatia. <laughs> but oh, people that's... don't know where it is. I'm like, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I th- whenever the first thought that comes to mind with Croatia is I love a popular TV show called Shark Tank and Robert Herjavec, who actually has an office here in Toronto, he always talks about Croatia. So that always comes to mind whenever I, I hear that. And so when you first got over there, how was it different than, well, obviously I'm guessing a lot, but how was it different than Haiti? Um, what was your experience there when you first um, got on the ground? So... Um, it, the country itself would, it was much, it was really different than Haiti. I mean, it's not as wealthy as Western Europe, but it still is wealthier than Haiti. So in that way, you know, it was different. 
Um, and I don't know if you've read the or studied the cold climate, warm climate cultures, but so it would definitely be more of a colder climate. So in that way, kind of similar to Canadians, you know, not quite like people. But in the camps itself, it was really interesting. To talk about that for a little bit, the cold climate, warm climate. Talk about that. Someone's uh, listening and they're not sure on that. So they, there's a study that um, says that based on the climate of the country you live in, there are certain cultural nuances that that, that country has based on the climate. So when I lived in Ottawa, it's Ottawa, Canada, very cold. And in the winter, you know, people have their their hoods, you know, their hats on, their hoods, their scarves, and they're as quick as they can walking to where they need to go. And so even in the, so they're just trying to survive, survive the cold, get from the place I need, need to go to as quickly as I can. And in the summer, even though it was warm, people still would walk as quickly as they could. They didn't say hi. And so it had created this culture. And in Haiti, you know, very warm. People are like sitting outside. A lot of life is spent outside. So they're very, you know, all saying hi to each other, talking, you know, you just invite, you have kind of an open door policy. People are welcome to come in. So in Croatia, maybe a little more of the colder climate culture. So not quite as um, open door. But sure. The people in the camps, it's really interesting because they are from warm climates, a lot of them. And so they have more of that open door policy. And I remember explaining to them my English class, like if you go to Canada and if you go to knock on someone's door, they will most likely not ask you to come in and they won't ask you to sit down and have tea or coffee. And they were. Oh, yeah. I've, I've knocked on lots of doors around Toronto and that's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is so it's so interesting because we found that especially moving up from the states we i grew up eight hours north of toronto but then moved down to the states for a number of years totally the case i'd say, I'd say in toronto and it's interesting as you're mentioning that where people come from different cultures i think it takes a little bit of time to adjust um just a very quick story to illustrate that when we first moved to toronto we did a little um uh, neighborhood um, barbecue where we invited people to our house did the exact same thing in virginia invited probably about a quarter of the people that we invited here had 50 people show up when we were in virginia uh here we did the exact same thing i think we invited about 250 of our neighbors uh hopefully figuring all of them wouldn't show up um and uh we had about 10 people show up to the the it couldn't be more different in terms of that i, I get what you're saying yeah it is different <laughs> And so talk us through that. How did that look like in the camps when you had that mix? Uh, what was <laughs> any idea the percentages were most uh, from Croatia or most from warmer climates? Well, the refugees themselves were, none of them were from Croatia. They were, they were from warmer climates. So the majority were from Syria, Afghanistan, and Iran. And there were a few other places that they were from as well. And then, but the people working in the camps, you know, majority... Croatians, but then there were like some volunteers. There were a couple other North American volunteers that were there as well. So people from a colder climate. Um, so you had to really work to, and I was, I had an advantage because I had a friend who, um, her and her husband, she, he was from Egypt and she's from Syria and they are 
Christians. He's a pastor, and they speak. She speaks very good English, and so she gave me um, kind of like a quick crash course in some cultural things that I would need to know. And you know, she told me that if I was offered um, a cup of coffee or tea, I, I had to take it and drink it. And until I became good friends with the, with that person. I had to accept every time they offered me something, and once we were good friends, then it would be okay to say, you know, I already had four cups of coffee, like I'll, I'll maybe just have water. <laughs> so I had an advantage. That's just the other day. It was funny. Actually, it was two days ago. I went to visit someone, and they were from uh, they were from Nigeria, and uh, yeah, went in, and they immediately it was the first time I'd been in their home, and it was. Yeah, you knew it was very important that they drink what I... And I forget what it was. It was um, some lemon, something like that. And I really wasn't thirsty, but it was funny. You knew in that moment that it was very important that I drink. And uh, it was one of the kids ended up coming over and actually uh, drank the rest of of mine. He took it out of my hand and drank it. So uh, it was okay. (laughs) You were saved. I I was saved. Um, So, okay, let's talk about this a little further. Um, specifically refugees, what does that situation look like? And we're talking about uh, from the perspective of North Americans, there's all kinds of stuff said on Facebook, Twitter, social media, um, that I'm sure you just find so enjoyable uh, to read through. (laughs) There's nothing better than, um, reading something from someone who's never experienced, uh, what you've experienced firsthand, is there? Yeah. Um. And and so let's just kind of cut through that. I don't want to really focus on the negatives of it, but I want I want to just focus what really is happening in these refugee camps. Um, and we'll get to this in a minute about what we we as Christians in North America can do about it. So um, in Croatia specifically, because that's where I had experience. So I'll just I'll mainly speak to that. Had a little bit of experience in Turkey and also in Serbia, but you know, mainly in Croatia, the refugees there um, are there waiting in the camps. So they're, they've come to Croatia, you know, fleeing for their lives, most of them. There are a few that would be considered economic refugees, but the majority were, were fleeing to safety. And once they get to Croatia, they apply for asylum, and then they have to wait in the refugee centers until they are granted approval or until it's rejected and denied. And so you have a lot of people that are just sitting in these camps with, with nothing to do. And, um, they're, they're just waiting and with very uncertain futures and with Croatia, um, just because of the political atmosphere in Croatia, um, they're, there were not many people were given asylum, but just recently I've, I've heard from some people there and they have kind of started changing that and they are granting more people asylum. Were most of the people that came, uh, come to these camps, were they poor background or, um, were many of them wealthy background, um, but just needed to get away? I would say that, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to know, but, but I, I would, by no means were they all from poor backgrounds. Um, actually, many of them are probably much wealthier than we are. Um, yeah, I, I would, again, just, just from my very limited experience over here with refugees that come over, that was, I asked that because that was my misconception at first 
Um, and a lot that come had very uh, great jobs. Yeah. Um, but then just for different reasons have to have to leave. Yeah. And the Syrians obviously, um, I think, you know, gen- had a well, they did have a more well-to-do society. And so they, they did have good jobs and most of them, like there were some from Eritrea, um, Eritrea. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, right. but yeah, it's close enough, you know, and I know that may be a little different situation, but, but generally they had, um, did have, or maybe, you know, some from maybe Afghanistan weren't quite as wealthy, but, but some of them definitely were. Yeah. What were the best things that you would do to help people, um, when you got over there? Cause it, like you said, they're kind of stuck. It's like every, their livelihood's taken away from them. They don't know what to do. Uh, that's a very difficult place to be in. Yeah, we. Um, I would just go to the camps, and we did have. I did teach English once a week at both of the camps, and then um, I would just play with children in the child-friendly space that UNICEF had started in the camps. And outside of that, I really would just. Um, I would just pray as I was walking into the camp that God would kind of bring me to whoever needed me that day and it was so amazing because it seriously not a day went by that I was not asked to someone's room to drink tea or coffee and they just wanted to tell me their story and just have someone listen to them have someone care because they you know a lot of them do think that the world hates them and that they feel very unloved because they also are on social media like what would there be their perception of say America or Canada um, one man told me that um, America hated him because he was Muslim, and um, there are some who have had more experience with North Americans, and they know that that is not true, and and had very positive experiences, especially in the refugee camps, different volunteers coming over, and so they definitely have a different perception, but for those who hadn't had much um, and were just reading the news, they they did have the idea that they weren't loved or welcomed in the world and and so it was you know really just being there and showing them that that I did love them and through that you know praying that they would see God's love but really being present with them did you feel the resistance yourself personally when you first would interact with them um I didn't feel much resistance they probably they were very open and warm um you're not exactly the most intimidating type of person, so. <laughs> <laughs> but they are very, very hospitable people. They yeah. really just, I think that was one of the things that surprised me, was how inviting they were to welcoming me in, because I probably, without realizing it, did assume that they were going to resist me because I was a Christian, and that was not the case. They really just loved me, and they knew I was a Christian. I mean, we, we have you can't proselytize in the camp, so it wasn't talked about um, a lot, but they knew because they would ask questions, you know. And so it came out, but they, yeah, they still loved me and welcomed me and and wanted to be my friend. So let's just go ahead and jump into some of these hot-button topics (laughs) in North American culture, so especially with Syrian refugees. Um, Canada's been more open, I would say than, than the states in in some ways, um, and and so when there's all this debate, should we allow refugees to come over? 
How did your perspective change on that the more that you interacted with refugees? Any thoughts on that and how we as maybe maybe as Christians too should talk about this in a little better way? Well, um, I really came to realize that they are people just like we are. They are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and they they are they are human just as we are human and um they were really just looking for a safe place to live a life. There was, you know, young boys who all they wanted to do was go to school so that they could become a doctor. And some of them wanted to go back to their country and help, you know, and so they just had this desire to go to school. Um, I know there was a young girl who was separated from her fiance because of the, you know, the, like the laws that they would have if, and one was in Austria, her fiance was in Austria, she was in Croatia, like they weren't allowed to to go to that country to be with each other. She just wanted to get married and start her family. Like there were mothers that they just wanted their kids to go to school. And so it really struck me, you know, these are just people just like we are. And in some ways, um, being raised conservative, as I was raised um, fairly conservative, when I started to really get to know these people and watch how they lived their life, especially the ones that were a bit conservative, more conservative. I remember just thinking, wow, they're actually <laughs> really similar to us, like their their values and how they, you know, obviously there is a major difference of faith and, and that is big, but there are other things that just as far as lifestyle and stuff are not that different. So. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'd say we found a little bit the same, again, totally different context, but um, moving to Toronto, both Janana and I were, grew up in a little bit more conservative backgrounds. And um, similarly, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm over speaking here, but I think um, a number of different cultures that come to Canada, America, um, they're a little bit turned off by all the secularism Mm -hmm. um, and someone that is a little bit more, uh, whether you call it conservative in their dress, lifestyle, um, it's actually a little bit more attractive than someone who's just really loose. Um, So, okay, so you've talked a little bit about how that um, your perceptions changed. How did your time over there, how did that really change you, you change your heart um, towards other people? Well, I would say, you know, I really... um... It was, I was really struggling when I first came home because by the end, I was I was there for three months. And I know that doesn't seem like a long time, but if you are in the camps five days a week and every, like just almost every single day, you have someone coming to you with a new trauma or, um, you know, just a really, really a story that is so full of suffering. And I remember... Um, when I first came home, I was really like, okay, God, you know, I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control, but it's really heartbreaking to, to watch these people and to, you know, you get to know them. They become friends. They become like family. They call me sister and, and to, there's nothing, you know, tangible that I can do to help them and to know that God, that God is allowing it to happen. Um, but he really, through that, showed me his compassion for for me and his compassion for them, but also his heart for the people who are lost. Because as I would watch people who were 
um, like my friends, they were really seeking comfort from um, something that could not give them any comfort, and they they lacked hope, and they didn't you know couldn't see that in themselves, but and they were so faithful to seek comfort from this this other you know object. Um, it was really heartbreaking, and I really realized that how much how God feels when he views the lost and how he viewed me when I was lost and so I really understand more I think of God I mean I know I still have much to learn but I do understand more of God's heart not only for me but also for for those who are lost and are separated from his love as you came back and you're talking to different people from a North American context uh, is it tough? Is it, is it difficult to come back and adjust? I, I, we, I interviewed, um, I believe it was Tim and Becky Keep several months ago on this podcast, and they shared when they would come back from the Philippines. It was quite an adjustment, and it, and it was just the culture and what people valued was so different. Um, and even, again, this is so small, but when Janan and I go from the culture of Toronto, even when we... Uh, make trips down to the States again and revisit different connections. It's just, it just feels different. It's a different culture. It's a different feel. Yeah. Is there, talk about that. How do you deal with that? Well, um, I really realize, um, I can see how grace comes into play because there are certainly working in this field. Um, it is different than when I worked with the orphan crisis. And so just in talking to people, there is, it's different um, in that way. So I can see where grace comes in. You know, I didn't know everything that I know now about about refugees. And so, you know, having grace for others is important. But, but there are things like, you know, um, so the people in the camps, just like very warm and a very friendly, you know. And so I'll, you know, even here trying to talk to people in the stores, and some people are really responsive, but other people, it's like, oh my goodness, like, <laughs> you don't want anyone to talk to you, um, or just, you know, there, like, I had a pair of running shoes, and I played so much soccer, and walked so much, and I didn't have money to buy another pair of shoes, because there had been some unexpected expenses, like, to get, to take the train from one camp to the next, because they're, one is like an hour and a half train ride out of town. And so I was there three days a week. And so I, I did not have money to buy shoes. But of course, I'm not going to tell my friends in the campus, but they're starting to like notice my shoes. Like they've got these like holes. And I'm like, they're fine. You know, guys, they are really fine. Like, see, the bottoms are fine. Like, and they're just like getting really distressed. And so they take me to their room three different times. They empty their closets. They're like making me try at every shoe. <laughs> And I'm like, no, wow. okay. And then finally, this, like, one orphan boy from Afghanistan, he was like, you have to take a pair of shoes. I have too many. I cannot wear them. And so he gave me this pair of um, sneaker, Converse sneakers. And, but, you know, I think about that because when I came, when I came home, you know, people here, like, we, we really judge people if they're not, you know, if we see someone with holes in their shoes, we are not just offering them something from our pocket like we are really judging them and so that I find really difficult to come back to the kind of that critical the critical way that we tend to view each other here in North America so there is some adjustments that have to be made just practically here kind of coming into the home stretch here 
uh, talk about ways that Christians in North America can really just change the, the conversation, change the way. And I know that's such a big question, and there's been all kinds of you know articles written, conference speakers talking about this. Um, <laughs> You know about and, and I, again, I don't want it to be a negative thing. But well, what are ways that we can practically change the conversation, whether it's on social media, how we talk in everyday conversation? What are just one or two things that you'd like to see us uh, Christians in general uh, change? Um, I think not to allow our fear to speak, because I don't think that we often realize that. Because when I've kind of dug a little deeper with people who were speaking negatively there was fear behind it. And so just realizing um, that kind of praying that God will help us to have wisdom about when we are allowing fear to speak and also um, just being willing to be open to befriending, being a friend to the refugees. Um, I mean, what a great opportunity. They are in a place in their life that they are, they literally feel alone. And can you imagine if Christians were stepping forward and being the ones that were going to step into their life and say, I am here for you, like whatever you need, and, and just really being the hands and feet of Christ, like it's so powerful, you know? And we often think we have to be speaking the gospel to be sharing it, but that is not true because in the camps, we actually cannot openly speak the gospel. And people would come to us, we had four different English teachers, and our students would come and ask, you know, like, and I think just really get curious, like, who are these crazy people that are, like, what are they all about? But they really love us. And they started just asking if they could come to church. And, you know, I just think that there's a vacuum in refugees' lives. And if we are the ones, if Christians will step into that, um, and even in conversation on social media and, and, you know, to the world, just instead of speaking out of fear, but speaking in love, I think that that could, um, it could just be so powerful. Just to follow up on that, one key question I have is, um, what can we do not only to change the conversation, but to make a difference? Because that's a big question. You know, I think especially a lot of times when I was, whether it was in the States or even when I lived in Canada as a kid, I was around all white people. Um, I didn't really see people that were very different from me. Maybe they had a little bit of a Scandinavian influence, but it was, again, very much a white culture. Um, how do we begin to change this from without even uh, going overseas and taking the steps that you've taken? How do we change that narrative right here, right today? Well, there are many refugees that have moved into North America you know, Canada, if we're speaking from Canada, like in Toronto, I know there are a lot. Even here, like in a small town, I was at this, this is a tiny town, and we, I went to the skating arena, and I was like, oh my goodness, there's, there's refugees here, like, like, so there are, there, um, you know, you may need to contact a refugee agency, resettlement agency to find them in your area, especially if you're from a rural area, but there are, it is becoming more, um, we are seeing people from other places every, pretty much everywhere now. And I think um, when we do see them, you know, how we're interacting with them um, can be powerful. I met a lady from India, a cashier, and she said to me, you know, I just, it was like already crazy busy in the store. This was like a couple weeks ago, it was November. And I said, 
you know, like, wow, is it really busy for Christmas already? And she was like, yeah. She said, I came from India three years ago, and I hated Christmas here. She said, I called my family back home, and she said I was so lonely. It was only myself with my three sons. And I'm listening to this thinking, oh, okay. Like, And I, I remember leaving the store thinking, like, where were the Christians? Because if we, if you know, Christians had been there to step into that lonely place in her life. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's important for us to remember is that more and more— um, Refugees are over here, and we have the opportunity to touch them here. And it's almost become a cliche, but, you know, that you don't need to be, um, in some ways, you, you know, being a missionary, it doesn't just start with being overseas. We have people in our own backyard. Right. And, and um, so if people want to get involved, if they want to help, um, what are the first steps that they should take? Um, any websites, resources that you would say, here's, here's a good place to get involved, get connected to? Um, for helping their local community, going overseas for a trip, anything like that? Well, I am with the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries in the camps, and so if that is a connection that you can make, I know that they have they accept volunteers, and they are very actively involved in the refugee centers. Um, the I think if you contact some a refugee. Um, resettlement agency if you want to do something local then they can set you they can connect you with you know maybe a family that's been sent over and especially if they're a government a family that's been brought over by the government you know they really will need some some um, personal support in their life because you know if you know if a family brings another family over they kind of have like a connection but I think the ones that are brought over by the government if you just google some agencies in in your area you definitely could find ways to get connected and really just being watchful because um, they are they are there. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to end. Cherub, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, you didn't ask for this, but if people are listening, they want to support you and what you're doing, where can they go to do that? Where can they find you? Um, if they go to the churchofthenazarene.org, then they can find my link there. Um, okay, we'll put that, uh, we'll <laughs> include that in the show notes there. So if anyone wants to click on that they can hey thank you again all right thanks for having me speak and letting me share my heart well there you have it i hope that was helpful to you i know personally for me whenever i sit down and talk to people who are on the front lines of working with different issues in this case the refugee crisis it just helps me understand things at a much better level um, personally janan and i work with a number of new immigrants refugees to toronto and uh, doing so, man, it just changes your perspective so much. And I would just encourage you, as Cherub did there at the end, um, I don't know where you live, but there's a good chance that there are a number of refugees around you. And uh, likely they're having challenges adapting to, whether it's uh, Canada or, or America, adapting to North American life. And so seek them out. Find ways to connect with them. Um, and, and in the process, you'll be able to help them, but they'll also be able to help you and uh, just growing your love. And, and ultimately, I think this is one of the key things, I think, for Janan and I, that in talking to other people from different cultures, it's not only helped us understand them better, it's actually helped us understand God at a deeper level as well, because we see him reflected just in, in the different ways that people... Um, show themselves. And so that's just an encouragement to you. Again, if you have any other questions or, or follow-ups on that, feel free to 
uh, email me at Ezra at themondaychristian.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.